from your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth, joined by the one and only <laughs> Uncle Funky Larry Jones, who I believe is um, is a light agent. You're a light worker, sir. Thank you, sir. I, I feel that. And uh, let me be one of the first to welcome all of our podcast listeners into a a brand new beginning and a brand new year. And thank you for being mm-hmm. on the podcast. We've got some great shows planned for you this year, just like this morning. Yes, uh, we have currently Dr. Sherry Onyego, who uh, currently serves as the Harris County Public Health Director for Nutrition and Chronic Disease Prevention in the Nutrition and Chronic Disease Division. So please welcome Dr. Sherry O to the Public Affairs Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, well, first, before we get into everything, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little, mm-hmm. a little history. Well, sure. Um, I'm a family um, med- medicine physician by training. Um, spent a lot of my time um, or ha- having the pleasure to really um, see patients across the across the um the spectrum um uninsured underinsured um populations that may not have access to care um so that has really been a passion of mine and so now um on a public health scale we really have an opportunity to um to really look at health from a population level and so um that's been my journey and happy to to be able to uh, play a small role in, especially um, as it re- as it relates to uh, this COVID nineteen response. Doctor Sherry, we've noticed through our podcast that a lot of the younger members of our audience are very curious about your um, educational background. Can you tell us where you went to school, where you got your doctorate, and and sure. h- how much fun was that for you? <laughs> Uh, well, I went to school. Um, a couple. Let me see. I went to college in um, Xavier University, uh, and then I uh, transferred over to uh, University of Southwestern Louisiana. Um, uh, then I um, did graduate work uh, uh, with a PhD in pharmacology at Meharry Medical College mm-hmm. in Nashville, Tennessee. Yes, ma'am. And then went on to uh, medical school at Ross University. Um, and then did a family medicine residency at LSU, and then did a uh, a, a fellowship in HIV medicine at University of Texas here in Houston. And so uh, spent some spent several years um, working um, in the academic sector, and then moved over to the public health sector. So this was your passion. This is what you yeah. wanted to do. Absolutely. And we have a lot of people and Kate Kate G can bounce off this that a lot of I want to be a I want to be a but they don't really want to put the work in. And then when they get started, they tend to it's it's not as easy as it looks. So now we want to back out. But that's part of what we want to talk to you about is the the due diligence to yourself, your community and your craft that you've done to put yourself in the position where you are today to talk about today's topic. Yeah, because. um you all have a tough egg to crack. <laughs> let's just let's just keep it a buck. Mm-hmm. Um, you all have a tough egg to crack, especially when it comes to the uh, black and brown communities and their um, 
hesitation on vaccines, if it, mm-hmm. be it from the history of how this country has just treated people of color, period, if it goes back to the uh, Tuskegee experiment, which a lot of people kind of got the story and the history of that, you know, a little misconstrued, but that's for an, an, another time, um, yeah. to, you know, the the pop-up of HIV and AIDS and how, you know, mm-hmm. that affects us to, to all of the ailments. But, you know, black folks, they just like, uh, they not sticking me with nothing because... <laughs> My child came and got vaccinated, and now he's on the autism spectrum, and I don't trust anything and how they're rolling it out. And, you know, they're trying to get us because look how they're putting black women at the forefront to make us feel comfortable and all of that. So as best as you can, and I'm sorry to to, to go off on a tangent, how how is the science and medical community helping to combat these um feelings and issues that the black community has? Well, first, I want to at least acknowledge uh, a piece of some of your comments that you that you made, um, because I do think it is important, um, because although we started off talking a little bit about myself, I think it's still um, it's it's still an important tie in. Um, I do think that it's important to um, uh, to 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 come to the forefront. I think that the, the um, and people who have been uh, in a put in position like myself, as well as so many of my colleagues, um, it, it you know it's a, we take it as a privilege. It's a humbling opportunity um, to really uh, show the community, to show um, young people or others who may um, see a path in their future, um, because that's what. That, that's the first part of it. You have to, in order to know something exists, you have to see it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for us to uh, continue to utilize the opportunity that we've been afforded to um, to really talk about the things that matter in our community, um, because we don't know who's listening, we don't know who's watching, and we don't know what impact that can make on someone's life, and then that can turn them into um, also a um, a spokesperson or a vessel. And so I do think that um, a number of my colleagues across the field, we are very um, cognizant and aware of the fact that um, we have a historical um, uh, trauma that exists in our community. Um, And I think that uh, it's important for us to acknowledge that. And um, one of the things that we have been very vocal about is hearing um, people's concerns and 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 acknowledging that and that and, and really I think part of our role is to really um, listen to what people have to say and I think that one of the things that people um, may not know, especially when it talk when it comes to the COVID nineteen, is that their historical. Um, issues that have already existed well ahead of COVID. And I think that that put a lot of people in our community um, really in the, uh, in the, in the, in, in the population of folks who were most vulnerable because it impacts individuals who are um, essential workers. They're, they're not in a position to, you know, work remotely because they are um, doing, um, doing jobs that, you know, put them, you know, front-facing. They're, you know, whether that's 
transportation industry, um, our grocery store workers, um, and then also there's uh, there's also this uh, historic lack lack of access to to healthcare, and I think that um, it's important um, that individuals understand that when they access the healthcare um, structure and the health healthcare system, that part of them continuing to engage in the healthcare system is to ensure that they trust the people who's given them that care. And so um, you have a lot of individuals who haven't had ac- a really good quality to access to care. And so um, those are individuals who also may be impacted with chronic disease like diabetes, obesity, asthma, heart disease. And again, these are the same conditions that make COVID-19 worse or can ex- further exacerbate um, or make it make it success- make it very easy for those individuals to um, to be more susceptible to COVID-19 mm-hmm. is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to the vaccine, um, it's again, it's the same um, narrative that we have to continue um, talk about. So, um, you know, again, I think it's important that we acknowledge the, the past that we um that we try to encourage and engage and educate our community um one of the uh things that we've been very proud about is that um is Dr. Kizzy Corbett is one of the leading scientists who worked on the Moderna vaccine and so um one of the things that I, that I've been very vocal about is ensuring that our community knows that and so I think that that's um, that's an important part that we have to do. There's a lot of ground. There's a lot of groundwork to build that trust to uh, educate our community about the importance of of the vaccine because we know that now we're so susceptible to to this virus, and it's the vaccine is one of the tools that we have. So, Doc, in your your, your studies, your travels, your writing. Are you sensing a shift in the some of the attitudes that you, you you mentioned, the historical things that we have always done? We've 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 not trusted a doctor, or we've had one bad experience, so everyone's shut down. So grandma is talking, and the baby's here, and the baby's retaining it. So if grandma didn't go to the doctor, I'm not going to the doctor because it wasn't good for her, so it's not good for me. I, I she ate this, I ate this, we eat this. Is there a change? Is there is there is there a new awareness in our black and brown communities of healthier eating and getting more involved in taking care of your bodies and finding a physician to trust? Yeah, and I think that uh, that's a great question. One of the things that um, that I've seen has it has been a shift. I think that you know, we're seeing a lot of it play out in our communities. I think that um, there are a lot of community-based organizations and a lot of grassroots efforts that are that are really pushing that message out. Um, I think that health is, a lo- historically, we, we've tied it to the four walls of the, of the, of the clinic or the hospital setting, right? But health um, really uh, kind of goes back to what we talk about in the public health structure, which are what we call the social determinants of health, that it really, de- that it really um, should uh, focus on where individuals live, where they work, where they worship, where they play. 
And so those are opportunities for individuals to hear about health everywhere across their dynamic, across their touch points, their community centers, their churches, where they work. And so um, and so there is there has been a bigger push for people to embrace those types of opportunities, whether it's um, whether it's seminars that they're getting in their churches or um, or bringing um, uh, work based educational um, opportunities, trainings, classes, we are still seeing a lot of that, um, especially on the um, on the on the larger population scale. And so, I think that it 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 starts with, or a piece of it is with the traditional um, health or their the doc the doctor patient dynamic, and having that connection with a doctor that you trust is important. But I think those other dynamics are just as important and such a big component of it as well. Indeed, you listen to the Public Affairs Podcast, talking to Dr. Sherry Onyego from the Harris County Public Health Office. She is the Harris County Public Health Director for Nutrition and Chronic Disease Prevention in the Nutrition and Chronic Disease Division. Uh, So about this vaccine, and now that it has uh, rolled out, um, can anyone get the vaccine at this time? So, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I think that one of the things that – we've been seeing is that not that is that it's a limited supply right now. And so uh, more and more vaccines um, are, are coming our way. Um, but there is a system in place that I do need to try to explain. Um, with the, the federal government um, has a, has a process in place where the, our, our state health department distributes and sends the vaccine to entities in local jurisdictions, whether that's hospitals, uh, pharmacies, um, health departments. And so right now, um, unfortunately, not everyone can get vaccinated because we don't have enough vaccine to vaccinate everyone right now. Um, And so um, I just wanted to at least explain that process. And right now, um, the, the Texas Department of State of um, Health Services has a tiered program program uh, for vaccination, and so it's based on um, specific groups of individuals who can get vaccinated as a priority. And so that would the first group of individuals, or what we're referring to as Phase One A, those would be your healthcare workers. Um, individuals who um, work uh, in hospital settings, um, first responders, those individuals who are directly in the line of care of those individuals of individuals who may be uh, um, who may be infected with COVID-19, as well as those uh, individuals who may work at nursing homes, as well as nursing home residents. So those were the, are the people who are in the phase 1A. Um, the phase 1B, is also a priority group that the Texas uh, Department of State Health Services has also um, uh, recommended that we uh, vaccinate. And so those would be individuals over the age of 65, as well as those who are over the age of 16 
with um, chronic, uh, with at least one or more of chronic medical conditions that put them at increased risk for severe di- for severe disease if they were to contract COVID. So those would be individuals who would have um, conditions like cancer, um, kidney disease, um, lung disease like COPD, heart conditions, obesity, um, pregnancy, sickle cell disease, as well as type 2 diabetes. So those are a number of conditions that minority communities um, are faced with. And so like I was talking about earlier, those are conditions that have historically impacted minority communities that put them at risk for developing um, COVID. And so that's why they are individuals who are specifically spelled out to um, to really be one of those priority groups to get um, the COVID-19 vaccine. So as more and more vaccine becomes available, then the general population will will be will you know will will have the access to to it. And just to kind of put it in perspective, when you look at the priority groups for 1A and 1B, for our community, for our county, that's already 1.6 million people mm-hmm. just in those mm-hmm. groups. That's cool. Mm-hmm. In terms of um, something that I haven't heard of yet, and um, and I don't know when you all are going to roll out this information, um, in terms of the vaccine, I, uh, what are the instructions in terms of pregnant women? Or, you know, uh, people with diabetes or people with HIV, like mm-hmm. h- how um, do we have research on how it affects those people mm-hmm. with those type of ailments? Yeah. Well, not so, to say that pregnancy is an ailment, ladies. I'm yeah. not saying that, but you know, especially <laughs> with the other things, though. Right. And I think uh, one of the things that we that we know is that there's still um, uh, a there's specific work that's being done um, from a scientific standpoint on uh, on those specific groups. And so um, what we always say is that individuals who may be pregnant, individuals who may have a immunocompromised condition, that they definitely need to have a conversation with their physician. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these were not conditions that would be um, – reasons for an individual to not receive the vaccine, but it's still um, important for those individuals who may have any of those underlying conditions to have a conversation with their, um, with their healthcare provider. Um, There were in the, in the, in the clinical trials, there were, um, there were those, there were individuals who, who had chronic conditions who, who did uh, receive the vaccine. And so um, additional studies will, are ongoing right now, um, specifically to look at uh, pregnant women, as well as even uh, the pediatric group, because for one of the vaccines that's approved, uh, which is the, um, which is the Pfizer vaccine, um, is approved for 16 um, and above, but the Moderna vaccine is 18 above. And so there are additional, there are additional studies right now going on to look at the, the younger age group, age group. Doc, you, you're leading me right into my next question because we, we've heard of these companies that you just mentioned for the vaccine. Aren't there a couple of more companies that are in the pipeline that are very close to being approved? Yeah, there are a couple of more. Um, there are several more vaccines, in, you know, at different phases in the process. Okay. 
Um, and so, but yes, to answer your question, we do anticipate uh, a couple of more vaccines um, to, to hopefully get an emergency authorization, um, um, hopefully soon within the next couple of months or so. Yeah, we. I, I saw a couple of things where this 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 third and fourth uh, vaccine may be a little bit more effective than the one out with Pfizer because it doesn't have it doesn't need the refrigeration or all the little technical nuances. Did I get that correct, or am I off base? Well, the effective the effectiveness uh, not not so much the effectiveness. I think it'll probably be a little bit easier for people to manage it okay. because okay. Pfizer. The, you know, when we saw the very uh, large bulk of the vaccine that came to uh, that came out or got disseminated, it really only went to the larger systems because they had the ability to handle it. They had the ability to store that particular vaccine. It has to be stored at um, ultra frozen temperatures, and you know, not everyone has that type of. Um, that type of refrigeration or that type of storage. And so um, not so much the, um, the effect, eff, the effectiveness because uh, these vaccines are, um, that have similar effectiveness, um, but the storage and handling for each of them are a little bit different. Mm, okay. Um, and in terms of, um, is the American science and medical community in concert with other scientists and medical professions in other countries mm-hmm. to, you know, help combat this? Because, you know, and oftentimes, you know, I see Pfizer and Moderna, the first two out the gate. I always like to think, you know, like, yeah, okay, USA, you know, we're we're the best. Yes. Mm-hmm. We are the best country, yeah. but we're not the only country. Right. I think that... Um there's there's a lot of there's a lot of scientific sharing that's happening across um multiple different sectors um there's a lot of information that we gained um very early on with this uh with this response and with uh with especially as it relates to this pandemic and so we learned um from what other countries were doing we learned how they um we learned how they responded we learned about behavioral things and obviously um you know other um, policy implementation things that went into place like lockdowns. So there's a lot of things that we learned from different um, communities across across the globe as well as across the country. So there's a lot of scientific sharing that's that's happening right now. Okay. One last thing with this new strand that's going on. Will these vaccines be null and void if this new strand begins to spread, which we hope it does not? And then does that leave us back at the drawing board? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the things to know is that what 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 the science is telling us right now, and based on how these um, vaccines were developed, that they will still have um, they'll still have uh, still have good effectiveness um, to multiple different um, variants. And so it's important to know that viruses like uh, like coronavirus they mutate and they they change, um, but these vaccines will still have efficacy. And before I uh, you know, just let you go. I do want to just kind of turn it back to the fact that vaccine is one of the tools. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you brought that variant up, because I think one of the things that we still have to encourage, um, you know, our community about is that we still have to do all of those other important prevention measures, which is washing your hands, wearing your mask, 
watching your distance, trying um, trying to limit those gatherings, especially uh, with individuals not in your household, because those are also the um, important tools that we know work. Vaccines are going to be really important to help us get to where we need to get, um, but they're also not going to be as important as uh, as it's not going to be important for us if if, if our if our if our community and our and our um, loved ones don't take it. So we have to um, continue to educate, uh, increase awareness, um, and really uh, uh, try to continue, like I was saying earlier, to build those trust uh, opportunities to, to really get people to understand the importance of taking the vaccine. But we can't lose sight of those other prevention measures and those prevention tools that we still have in our toolbox. Indeed. And as KG Smooth would tell you, hydrate, mm-hmm. take your zinc. Mm-hmm. D3, mm-hmm. vitamin, Two, C, vitamin C, B12. <laughs> Take the vitamins. It'll, it'll and come back. a ton of water. Yes, and, and exercise, some sort of movement like that yeah, helps get the body generated. Dr. Sherry Onyego, the Harris County Public Direct, Public Blair, the Harris County Public Health Director for Nutrition and Chronic Disease Prevention. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Great information. Yes, indeed. And we'll be right back after this. From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, Uncle Funky Larry Jones. No, I'm not. I am KG Smooth. I was looking at Uncle Funky, and I said his name. You could be. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) You could be me, and I am you. Light warriors, we are. We are are one, aren't we? Yes, sir. The collective. Um, This gentleman that we have on the the phone, um, you know know him. You've... um, dealt with him he's got some great things uh going on so well you do the honors of the introduction i'll tell you how this happened uh dr dr brian is a good friend of dr stanley jones and dr jones is one of the most famous back physicians on the planet he's the young man that actually put earl campbell's back back together from all those years of banging at ut and the houston Oilers. so um and Doc Jones used to have a segment segment on our show uh, on the old uh, uh, Sunday Morning Live. Mm-hmm. So I had to go by and see Doc for some uh, some some work on my my, my the elbow and my hand, and he turned me onto this product called Enio Forty, mm-hmm. and uh, it 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 puts more oxygen into the blood. And he was telling me about a young man by the name of Doctor Brian that has this, and they want to do this clinical study and help African-Americans during this whole COVID process. So this is how Dr. Brian has become a part of the Public Affairs Podcast. Well, welcome, Dr. Brian. Um, man, you look Thank you. absolutely amazing, just incredible on paper. Earned his <laughs> undergrad, a bachelor's in science degree in biochemistry at University of Texas at Austin, doctorate degree at Louisiana State University School of Medicine in Shreveport, recipient of the Dean's Award for Excellence in Research. I really could go on, but the podcast is only 20 minutes, this segment. What? So he's a, he's a bad man. He's a bad <laughs> man. Bad. He, he knows what he's talking about. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he knows what he's yes, talking about. Yes, indeed. So, um, Dr. Brian, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. It's an honor and a pleasure to, to be joining you today. Mm-hmm. 
So, Doc, let's just dive right in. Um, y- your purpose, your goals, what, what, are, what is it that you, you want to achieve? Well, you know, guys, I've been in the nitric oxide research and, and medicine space now for going on 30 years. We've made a lot of discoveries, have dozens of issued patents, uh, brought a number of products to market. But, you know, my legacy and really what I hope to achieve is develop safe and effective therapeutics. And we've been on that that road for, for many, many years. And, you know, we're developing nitric oxide-based drugs for things like heart disease, pulmonary disease, heart failure. And then, as we know, COVID came along. <laughs> and, you know, over the past 11 months, we've learned a lot about this disease. But perhaps most importantly to your audience, we're realizing that it's affecting the African-American population more than any other. You know, the African-American makes up 13% of the U.S. population, but some reports are, you know, showing that they're responsible for 50% of the COVID deaths. Correct. And this is a major problem. And, and, and fortunately, a problem that we can now solve. And we've been dealing with this for, for many, many decades. I mean, the, the numbers are quite shocking that you know, African-Americans suffer from higher incidence of high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, certain types of cancers. Uh, I've been studying vascular biology and the health disparities of African-Americans for, for a number of years. And it really comes down to the fact that African-Americans make less nitric oxide than other ethnic groups or, or, or than compared to Caucasians. And now this explains not only why they have higher incidence of high blood pressure and diabetes, but it also explains the increased susceptibility to COVID because our immune system actually generates nitric oxide to fight off the virus, to prevent virus replication and the progression of disease. But if you're compromised and your body can't make nitric oxide, like the typical African-American, they become more prone to infection. Uh, The data are very clear. Three to five days from source of infection, they usually start to get symptoms. Another two to three days, they're hospitalized. Two to three days later, they're put on a ventilator. And five to seven days later, most of these people expire. And it's it's truly and simply unacceptable at this point because we have the technology to combat that. And so that, that's my objective, guys, is really to make people aware that we understand the mechanism of action for the health disparities of African Americans with COVID. And we have technology now in a phase three clinical trial that can actually uh, reverse this trend and prevent the unnecessary death in the African-American population. Mm. Doc, when it comes to this nitric oxide um, and something that African-Americans, as you say, lack, what what produces it and what is causing us not to produce it? Is it something in our diet? Is it because of the toxins? Like, why are we not producing this natural thing that we're supposed to produce? Well, there's a number of factors. It's both genetic and it's, it's environmental. So there's, there's some genetic predispositions, and there, there's two that have been primarily recognized. And without getting too, too technical into biochemistry and genetics, but there's an enzyme called NADPH oxidase, and this is upregulated in a lot of African Americans. So it creates a lot of oxidative stress, which then shuts down nitric oxide production. There's a, it's about 3% in the general population, and African Americans, it's as prevalent as 10%. So a three-time higher susceptibility to this genetic, what we call a single nucleotide polymorphism, that then renders them even further compromised to make nitric oxide. So genetically, on the fingerprint, you're, you make less nitric oxide. Then you combine that 
with diet, lifestyle, reduced access to care in many communities, and it just creates the perfect storm, and that's become manifest in, you know, disease and susceptibility to COVID. So, Doc, you 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 have testing. There's a there's there's a there's a clinical study going on. You want to share with our audience? Yes, I do. And really, that's my main objective: is to create the education and awareness that there is a solution out there. So, we have an FDA cleared uh, investigational new drug that's in a phase three clinical trial. We've got a site in Houston. We've got a site in Hyde Park, which is south side of Chicago, um, Jackson, Mississippi outside of Orlando, Florida, and Augusta, Georgia. So what we're looking for are African-Americans 50 to 85 that have been diagnosed with COVID within 72 hours with at least one underlying what we call comorbidity, whether that's high blood pressure, smoking, diabetes, heart disease, or pulmonary disease. So if you fit those inclusion criteria, you can go to the Houston site, which we'll give you the information on, here shortly and ask and, and participate in the study. And here's the here's what I think is really one of the positives about the study. There's a lot of fear involved when you're diagnosed with COVID. And then most of the time you're sent home to, to fend for yourself. Well, we don't do that. If you enroll in the study, number one, you're gonna get $100 for, for participating in the study. But perhaps most importantly, we're gonna send you home with the tools that you need and we're gonna be able to monitor your progress and health. We'll send you home with a, blood, a pulse oximeter, which measures your blood oxygen levels. Uh, we can monitor your levels remotely. We're going to send you home with a blood pressure cuff, so we can monitor your blood pressure and, and temperature. And you're going to get a phone call two to three times a week from one of our clinical coordinators just to check on you, see how you're doing. And if you're rapidly progressing, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll send you for acute care. Um, and then if you're getting better because half the people are going to be on the drug, then we can actually monitor that in real time. It's a 30-day study, so you're going to basically all you do is enroll. You take the study medication twice a day for 30 days, and after 30 days, you, you come back, and we're measuring the rates of hospitalization, ventilation, the need for ventilation, and death. Uh, very simple study. You'll get paid for it, but most importantly, you know, what we're seeing is this, this study medication could truly save your life. So, Doc, can you share your, um, your website information and, and how can we get, become a part of this? Yeah, we created a, an educational site called www.aacovidstudy.com. That's AA is an African-American covidstudy.com. We have educational videos on there, information about the health disparities of African-Americans, um, the rationale for the study, and you can actually go on there and, and pre-qualify for the inclusion criteria, and then the information on the Houston side is called the uh, Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine. It's out on 290. You can go there and, and ask to be enrolled in the study, and we can um, get people enrolled and hopefully uh, you know, get this drug approved and on the market and, and start saving people's lives. Jesus. Listening to the Public Affairs Podcast, we are talking to Dr. Nathan S. Bryan of Baylor College of Medicine. Um, with uh, we, we had another doctor on uh, right before you, Dr. Bryan, and um, I was asking about um, the, the new strand 
of COVID that has popped up uh, over in the UK, I believe. Well, I've been kind of staying away from the news, so I'm not privy as to what's been going on this past week. But I think the last that I heard, there had it had been traced in um, three different states so far. Are you up on this new strand, and what is it that we need to know? Yeah, you know, guys, that really creates a problem. And, and, and I think it's worth mentioning that what we're doing here is we're developing safe and effective therapeutics. And that's much different than a vaccine. The problem with the vaccine is, you know, you're asking, it's like the, the, the flu vaccine. You basically immunize or vaccinate for what you can predict is going to be the active strain of flu that particular mm. season. Keyword there, what you can predict. What you can predict is key. Flu has been around for decades, and still we don't do a very good job of predicting what strain of flu. COVID, I mean, this is brand new. We know so little about this to where, you know, how effective the vaccines are going to be, nobody really knows. But here's what the numbers truly reveal is that half of Americans really aren't interested or trust the vaccines. And I've seen numbers where maybe 70% of the African-Americans don't want or trust a vaccine Mm -hmm. because there's too many unanswered questions. We're in a safe and effective therapeutics. We know it's safe. The data are are proving that it's efficacious. So these are, we make drugs based on understanding the extent of disease that we can rationally design safe and effective therapeutics. That's our metric. It's much different than vaccines. Mm, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I know uh, it, it, that's that's why he's here because the information we're providing for this and the clinical studies we're doing, um, it, it's going to put you in a much better position not to even. Well, I shouldn't say not worry about COVID, but it your your body will 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 become better if I'm saying this correctly. You. you you will be less likely to get this mm-hmm. using these products, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. We use, you know, the, the best practice of medicine is when you can recapitulate physiology. So if, if lack of nitric oxide is what puts you at risk for getting and, and rapidly progressing with COVID, if we replete and restore this critical molecule in your body and then allow your body to do what it's designed to do, you know, people don't get sick. There are people, we're exposed to viruses every day, every year of our lives. And sometimes most people don't get the flu. Some people get the flu. Well, who gets the flu? It's the same people who get the COVID. It's the older people that are, have underlying comorbidities and, and really poor health. Those of us that are healthy with a robust immune system with no underlying health issues, uh, it's not that we're not exposed to COVID or the flu. Our body just has the ability to fight it off and kill it before it makes us sick. That's how the body's designed to work. Mm-hmm. And we are big proponents of staying hydrated yep. and adding supplements to your daily routine. If you eat well, that's that's great. But the 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 the, the elderberry, the the zinc, the B threes, B D three, B twelves, the vitamin Cs, and and this product that uh, that I use uh, from Doctor Brian. Is it's just it's just great for the immune system, and you feel better. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, I'm, I'm wondering. Um, I personally um, feel a lot of healing properties, and feel like I'm getting a 
burst of energy, almost like a superpower, mm-hmm. from the sun, from laying in the sun and getting the mm-hmm. vitamin D from the sun. Why isn't that perpetuated more? Why isn't getting in the sun? Because everybody's afraid of the sun because, oh, I'm going to get skin (laughs) cancer and all of this. And it's just like, no, that is actually your natural source of feeling your best. And it helps prevent so many other ailments. So, well, I mean, I guess this is rhetorical to me because I know why they don't push that and promote that. I mean, we live in, this is, this is America. This is capitalism, but just something so simple as <laughs> getting vitamin D from the sun is just something that is just, that is not pushed or perpetuated. And I was just wondering why, because it's free. <laughs> well, I mean, let me distill it down to a very simple concept here. I've spent 30 years in research and it's come to my revelation that people get sick for two reasons and two reasons only. Number one, their body's missing something that it needs. Or number two, it's exposed to something that it doesn't need. Mm. So if you recognize the source of exposure of a toxin or an infection and get rid of it, and then you replete what the body's missing, the body heals itself. Mm. And in that model, there's very little room for drugs. I mean, we need to supplement because the food we eat is missing certain nutrients. Um, and really, that explains the entire spectrum of, of chronic disease from Alzheimer's. Come on, Doc. Come on, Doc. Get there. Come on. Come on. I was just waiting for somebody to get to it. I'm literally I'm drinking a greeny drink right now that has s- celery, broccoli, spinach, kale, apple, like all of the dark leafy greens. I, You're doing it right. I'm mm-hmm. drinking it right now. Yeah. And let me, let me just make a point here, fellas, because I think it's an important distinction. The product that you mentioned that we've had on the market now for over 10 years is from a, a company that, that sells that product in the nutrition dietary supplement space. The, the, the drug is actually uh, going through an FDA-approved clinical trial, a drug called Noviracid. And that's from a completely different company called Nitric Oxide Innovations, which is a, a clinical stage biotech company. Okay. So I just don't want to make the distinction that we're using a supplement to, to treat a, a disease like COVID. It's, it's a different, different company, similar technology, um, but completely different category. Well, thank you for the clarification, Doc. Yes, indeed. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah. So as we, as, we, as we wrap, Dr. Brian, once again, um, for those who might be interested in this clinical study, can you give us the information one more time, please? Yeah, the easiest way to get information is uh, aacovidstudy.com. Uh, all the information's on there, education, uh, the details about the clinical trial, the site. You can actually uh, click a button on there, a link. It'll take you to the clinical site there in Houston. Uh, you can make an appointment to go in. They'll reach out to you, contact you, and basically give you all the information about the clinical trial. You can consent and enroll and, you know, help us get this important uh, drug study completed and hopefully approved to where we can get it in the hands of the people that need it the most. And you can make a little money doing this too, right? That's right. You get $100 cash cash money for completing the study. Nice. Dr. Nathan S. Bryant of Baylor College of Medicine, thank you so much for coming on the Public Affairs Podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. I truly appreciate your time and uh, keep up the good work you're doing. Thank you, Doc. All the best to you, sir. Thank you. Take care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Unc, um Yes, sir. 
Wow. That was good. Great information from both doctors. Yeah. Um, clearly, they are one community, but, you know, everybody has different opinions on different subjects and, 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 and things. And, um, and, and I don't mean to cut you off, no. but, but Go ahead. One, of our, one of our mantras, all we're really trying to do is provide information for you to have a better life. And there are, there are some different options right now, but in this COVID environment, um, people are nervous. People are scared. They, they know vaccines work because they've taken them when they, the polio vaccine worked, the measles, the mumps, chicken pox, all those vaccines work. But now I'm, I, those horror stories are resurfacing. Mm-hmm. You, and and the, Tuskegee, the Tuskegee Project is so old. Mm-hmm. And times are different. Yeah. And then not to mention just, um, you know, some of the side effects of these vaccines that they're seeing, you know, people who have developed Bell's palsy and other um, other side effects that, you know, they didn't know about. So I'm just like, wait it out. Yeah. Wait a a couple of years. um, and, 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 And just wait it out to see what the side effects are, how it affects different people of, you know, different with different health elements or uh, complications. And yeah. Well, you know, hold your mule again, (laughs) you, you, you add the green vegetables to your diet, you back off the fried foods, you watch your sugar intake, you watch your alcohol intake, you add more water, you know, in balance, it's going to pain a lot of people to hear this, but cut out the fast food period. Fast food doesn't even exist. Just, just totally block that out of your mind yeah. right now. But everybody's on their different walk, you know, different journey. But, you know, you, you'll get there. But know that it starts within. It starts with you and what you put in you. Yeah, we're, we're only going to suggest some things. You, you're going to do what's best for you. Right. But um, we want you to live. Yeah, though. we do. Big we time. are here to spread love and light and <laughs> peace, love and light. How about that? And... That is what we're giving. Speaking of love and light, ready to love superstar. <laughs> I, I understand your journey continues. Um, yeah, the reunion airs on uh, Friday, the uh, Friday, the fifteenth. So, yes, yeah, should be spicy. And thank all of you who have um, watched the show, uh, made me a fan favorite, and uh, it's going to be. Uh, it, it has been um, quite the ride. So, and the name thank of the, you, the thank name you of the all. show, "Ready to Love" on the what network? Oprah Winfrey Network. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you all for the love, and thank you for listening to the Public Affairs Podcast. We will see you next week. <laughs>